This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 113 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Taylor. I am joined today by the entire Thursday Night crew, David, Brady, and Jordan. Thank you for joining me. We are going to be talking today about the newly revamped Georgia State offensive coaching staff and looking at the men's basketball team's upcoming week as they look to rebound from an 0-2 start with home games against Appalachian State and Coastal Carolina. We'll also take some listener questions, but first, gentlemen, how are we doing? Well, there are two basketball games on the schedule this week, so you know, skies, sky, things are looking up. I would say. See, I, you know, the sky must be falling if that's the case. If there are two basketball games, I mean, that's not allowed anymore, right? I mean, we've been going through this stretch of just one or no games, and it feels good. It feels weird, but it's good that we're back. It seems like to approaching some kind of normal. Like if you look at the numbers across college basketball. The positive tests and programs has gone way down, just almost exactly on a downward incline since maybe the peak in the beginning of January, late December. And so maybe just maybe we're through all of that disruption. Everyone's kind of getting back to normal, including Georgia State, which, as we'll get into in basketball talk, probably needs to happen post haste. All right, so let's go ahead and get into this football discussion. We, of course, as mentioned previously, had a full reshuffle on the offensive staff after Josh Stepp's promotion to offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. The move was made official by Georgia State, along with several other moves. Uh, Wide receiver coach Trent McKnight has added the title of passing game coordinator. Offensive line coach Amon Nagavi will now coach running backs and serve as special teams coordinator. And Dan Ellington moves from coaching running backs to taking coach Stepp's old job of tight ends coach. This set of moves leaves an opening at offensive line coach, along with the previous vacancy at safeties coach on the defensive side of the ball. So a little bit of a musical chairs merry-go-round happening within the Georgia State uh, coaching offices. Gentlemen, what are our thoughts? I first want to start and throw a question to both you, David and Brady. Um, with offensive line coach being the only vacancy on the offensive staff, uh, and we had spoken privately about this, it, it seems like if there's any position that Coach Elliott uh, has a very deep Rolodex on to, of potential guys to go out and get, um, this would be it. What are your thoughts on um, the direction they could go with the offensive line position? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the least of my worries because we know that unit's going to be what that unit is. Uh, we saw the news recently in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Clemson's longtime offensive line coach retired, uh, Robbie Caldwell. And Thomas Austin, who had gone from Georgia State offensive line coach to be in an off-the-field role at Clemson, took that job. And so there you have a guy who for two years was Georgia State's offensive line coach. Not even two years later is the offensive line coach at Clemson. And, you know, that's Clemson. So he's got guys like that. I'm sure he's got someone in mind that's going to come in, keep the the boats rowing, as it were, with the uh, the guys up front. And definitely not at all worried about what's going to follow with that. I mean, if Georgia State starts having bad offensive lines, some other things will have started going wrong first, I would have to say. Yeah, honestly, he could just do it himself, and I probably would still be just as confident that the unit is going to be just fine. Now, granted, I, this is not me necessarily advocating for Coach Elliott to do no. that. 
<laughs> you you get to have 10 assistants you should have 10 assistants there's exactly. absolutely no reason <laughs> exactly i feel like he's got some you know higher priority things to worry about than coaching the offensive line but you know worse comes to worse if he does have to do it it's still probably gonna be fine um but that being said you know he'll find somebody that you know is gonna come in here and do the exact same philosophy that the last two guys you know have done and it's you know it's just going to be some more of the same type of stuff and you know coach Elliott has done a phenomenal job reshaping that side of the ball specifically so you know i'm not worried about it and the move is interesting to me because it feels like everyone maybe with the exception of dan ellington on the staff is getting a promotion like explicitly getting more things to do like coach ignites getting the additional title of passing game coordinator you feel like that means he's going to have more say in the philosophy offensively. And you know, Coach Nagavi is switching positions. So he's never coached running backs before. He's only ever coached offensive line and tight ends. Uh, but he you know, has been around the offensive side of the ball. So I feel like the transition won't be that steep. And when all said and done and you have an offensive line coach, you're going to have two offensive line coaches, really. <laughs> you know, And it's going to be the two offensive line coaches in tune. And I guess when you look at it, maybe the secondary coaches are more, they have to be as one, but with what offensive line and running backs are doing, having those two coaches kind of be in tune and familiar and kind of preaching the same stuff, that's, that's the units that are really the most needed to be together for what Georgia State's trying to do offensively. Um, and also, he's going to be special teams coordinator, which Georgia State I don't has ha- think has had a named one for a couple of years. And you know, special so teams coordinator. Me, so you're telling me that we're not going to fair catch every kick, right? The, that's what that's I, what this means. Right? I am not cashing any checks that I can't cash. But what I will say is that it, I think the special teams coordinator probably is pretty misunderstood across sports fandom just because i think people think it's like the people telling them kickers to make field goals or whatever but like the truth of it is like the special teams coordinator is the only coach who coaches everyone and like that matters they coach everyone across all sides of the ball they set up the returns and uh coverage on um special teams and so certainly interested to see what the impact will be there with having that um new responsibility for coach nagavi and you know, obviously, Coach Step is getting a promotion. He's the offensive coordinator now. He's switching to quarterbacks coach. And, you know, with Dan, it feels like a step down. Maybe just on the face of it, you look at it going from running backs coach to tight ends coach. And I don't think that's what it is, partly because I don't think that anything he was doing as running backs coach was warranting a demotion because I think the running backs have been good this last two years. But, you know, I think that he's a guy that. It would not surprise me if he has aspirations to be an offensive coordinator or a head coach in his future years. He's just getting into it. And having another position where he can have experience coaching and kind of continue to build up that offensive know-how as a coach can't be a bad thing for a coach as young as he is. And so it might not feel like as immediately an upgrade, but it's something that might still be beneficial for him. And it's still just a cool thing to be able to talk about how the guy who started for you in 2019 at quarterback is been on your staff now for going on three years. I'm happy that he's going to continue to be able to grow into a new role. Okay. So let's go ahead and move on to basketball. 
men's basketball, of course, having a 74 to 65 loss at South Alabama last Thursday night, holding onto a five point lead at the break. The Panthers could not make it stick as the Jaguars shot 60 percent in the second half and outscored GSU 45 to 31 over the last 20 minutes of play. This loss is state's third straight, drops them to six and seven on the season. It's the first time they've been below 500 since November 22nd, 2019. So, uh, gentlemen, how about that game against the Jaguars? So, I, you know, I don't know Brady's say or anybody else's take on this game, but I felt like this game was what we wanted to see out of the UTA game. And I, I say that in both good and bad ways. Um, I'll be honest. There were there were some things that I saw against you uh, against South Alabama that I was really encouraged by. Um, I thought that Jalen Thomas and Lel, when they were on the court at the same time, that Georgia State was able to do things defensively that they've been wanting to do. They kind of spread the guards out to be able to defend the wing a little bit better, um, especially when they kind of went into their zone in the second half. Um, I thought they started the game really well, both offensively and defensively. You know, one thing that I noticed uh, in the game against uh, Texas Arlington was it seemed like they weren't driving as much as they could have been. And I didn't know if that was just because of the lack of practice and because of COVID or, you know, if there was something there. And I'll be honest, I thought that they were attacking and they were being aggressive a good bit of this game. Um, there were some offensive lulls, obviously, where they weren't, but I did. I was at least encouraged by the rate in which I saw the starters attacking. Um, I think, you know, part of why I said at the beginning that it seemed like this was the game that we wanted them to play last week was because it's it definitely seemed like they kind of lost steam there at a really crucial moment in the third um, you know, it also see, excuse me, the third, this is men's college basketball, uh, about midway through the second half was when it seemed like they lost steam, you know, between the 10 minute and five minute mark. Um, and that was especially when the Jaguars just caught on fire. You know, I think they went on like an 11 2 run to end the period, uh, Sorry, that was the first half. They, you know, the Jaguars went on an 8-0 run, you know, right before five minutes in the second half, and it just kind of seemed like the win was taken out. On of some tough shots, style. too. J.J. Oh, Turner specifically, yeah. on two specific straight possessions, there was a hand on his face in the corner. He drained a really tough three, and then again, he had another contested shot inside the next time down, and it was literally possessions Georgia State couldn't have done anything more on defensively, and sometimes the guys just make shots even when you put a hand in the face. Absolutely. And that's why I was that loss was probably a little bit frustrating, but I was very encouraged because, you know, South Alabama got some open looks throughout the game. Absolutely. But I also think that Georgia State's defense, they definitely played one of their better defensive games despite giving up 74 points. Um, So, you know. At the end of the day, it's still a loss. They're still 0-2 in conference play. So, you know, things are going to have to change rather immediately. But I'm not as discouraged with that loss as I kind of was against a worse team in Texas Arlington. But I, that one I also understood. So, Yeah, I mean, I said last week I was talking about, you know, they got to play well and yada yada. And I think they did. Like, I think that honestly, at least for 20, 30 minutes of this game, Georgia State played well. Uh, we're the better team over long stretches. Uh, and... 
down the stretch, it didn't happen. South Alabama was able to get some more separation, make some more shots, and they're a talented team. And you know, I would say that in normal times, a nine-point loss on the road at a team like South Alabama that's got a lot of talent playing well would kind of be a blip. It would be like a if we, if we were looking at it objectively at the start of conference season, it's one of the ones you'd point out and be like, that might be a loss because South Alabama's a decent team. I just think because nothing's been going right for a month, maybe this loss was more impactful in the moment. And just it feels like the, it could have been the jump off point to be like, all right, won this game, get on back to one and one. Don't drop below 500, all that. And it wasn't that, but I still it was the first game everyone played. And that's something that matters. And you saw the impact of and. Things haven't gone right, but given that you're having everyone back now, given that you put together at least part of a decent chunk of a good performance, there's something to build on. And you know, we're sitting here, there's 13 games that have been played, there's 12 left. So Georgia State still basically got as much time, number of games-wise, as they have played up to this point. And so it feels like the sky is falling still. I think getting wins this upcoming week, multiple plural wins, would do a lot to kind of stem kind of that ill feeling that's going on. But I don't know. I can't sit here and be too dour about that game. I thought that they played well for a lot of it. They gave themselves a chance and it just didn't happen down the stretch. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to point fingers at Corey Allen. I don't think that's necessary. Um, I just would say that, like, it does seem like he is in a little bit of a shooting slump. And, you know, this kind of coincided with the COVID pause last year. You know, it was like, okay, you know, is something wrong with Corey? Um, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before where Coach Lanier kind of not benched him, but stopped. He brought him off the bench for a couple near the end of the first season he was here. Okay, that's, it was like see, in that's February, March time of that first season. Right. Um, but, you know, regardless, he's probably not going to do that this year. But Corey, you know, is in kind of one of those midseason slumps. And, you know, as soon as he, you know, kind of shakes the rest and gets right back on the horse, this offense is going to go back to being a potent offense, you know. And I think... I agree with Brady's sentiments earlier in the season that defensively Georgia State has had some troubles. Um, you know, we were kind of waiting for LEL to come back to really solidify that take, if you will. Um, and I, I just I don't think that Georgia State can rock with Jalen Thomas being the only big on the floor if they want to actually, you know, defend well. However, I think another thing that will help Georgia State is just kind of continuing to find that offensive groove. You know, um, they have not really scored a ton of points against D1 opponents this year. Um, not nearly as much as like we would expect from them. Um, and, you know, I don't know if it, I, I honestly think it's a product of the whole team not being healthy at various points during this year. You know, Kane is the only person who has played uh, only starter who's played in every game and Evan Johnson as well played in every game. But, you know, he's coming off the bench. But, you know, still like there, there just needs to be more consistency with the starters. And, you know, that's just going to take time, you know. Yeah, and I mean, I think that another thing that is helped by LEL being back and playing full minutes is that Jaheim Hudson can kind of be that bell down low that Georgia State hasn't had when LEL has been out. It's been 
Jalen and Jaheim doing the bulk of the minutes, and when either of them have foul trouble or just need a minute, you're playing someone, whether it's Jamal Kleist maybe playing more minutes than they wanted to early, although I think he's done a good job for being a true freshman going out there and playing the four in college basketball, or whether it's just going with a heavy guard lineup and being outsized that way. Jaheim being on the bench again and maybe playing more minutes of what he would going into the year you would have been wanting him to play that'll benefit you saw some of that you saw different shifts where Elio was out there with Jaheim you saw obviously the starters minutes where Jaheim uh, where uh, Jalen and Elio were the ones out there together and yeah I, I think you saw that they were having an impact defensively but I also think especially early in the second half Georgia State was feeding down low and getting those guys looks offensively. And LEL had a good game shooting the ball, just kind of backing guys down in the post and getting up shots near the rim. And they were going in. And I think we need to see more of that. I think the way this offense is designed, I think obviously it's a guard first. You're relying on those guards, your seniors, Corey Kane and Justin to kind of create everything. But you need a pretty hefty amount of low post scoring from those guys as well. And I think whether it's just because LEL's the catalyst they were needing to spark that or whether Jalen just hasn't been making as many shots as we've been accustomed to seeing, whatever the reason is, it hasn't nearly been as much of an emphasis as maybe could help Georgia State. And I think we saw that this last game. That's something I'm looking forward to seeing how that progresses in the future because, you know, don't forget last year, both Jalen and LEL were averaging double digit in points. And... I think if they're getting into the range where they're both doing that in conference play, then Georgia State's going to be in a better place with offense because there might be more possessions where they're putting up good shots at the rim where maybe they've got a size advantage versus one of the guards driving into some traffic and putting up a contested shot, not getting a foul call, and then you know rebound for the other team, one-and-done possession, move down the court, play defense. So, I think that that's something that Georgia State can maybe unlock a little bit better now that LAO is back. So up next for the Panthers, a homestand this week against the Carolina schools, Appalachian State at 7 p.m. Eastern on Thursday night, Coastal Carolina at 2 p.m. on Saturday afternoon. So let's go ahead and take a quick look at both of those games. App is currently 10 and 9 on the season, 4 and 2 in the Sun Belt, tied for second in the conference. They're coached by Dustin Kearns in his third year. He has a 45 and 36 record in Boone and led the Mountaineers to their first NCAA tournament appearance in 21 years when they won the Sun Belt tournament to take place in Pensacola last March. That win came at the expense of Georgia State, of course, whom they beat in the Sun Belt title game. This will be the first time the teams have faced off since that fateful day. Coastal, meanwhile, has a 9-8 record and is sitting in second to last with a 1-4 Sun Belt record. The shots are led by Cliff Ellis in his 15th year at the school and his 45th year as an NCAA Division I coach. After being able to send out their intended starting lineup together for the first time in the loss to South Alabama and get another full week of practice in, this really, truly should be the most healthy, most in-seek Georgia State will have seen to date in the 2021-22 season. So, gentlemen, lots to unpack for this upcoming week of basketball. What you got? Well, I actually want to start with a little bit of a stats, numbers, history thing that I noticed in doing prep for this week, which is Georgia State's currently on a three-game losing streak. And there have been two of those each of the last two years under Coach Rob Lanier. But I noticed something funny that happened 
after both of them, the team went on a seven game win streak. Exactly. And correlation is not causation. This is not a pod that's saying seven game win streak is coming up right now. But I just thought it was a number that I noticed and could not share with the rest of everyone. Just because, I mean, what are the odds of that? But also, it is a similar dynamic to last year, where the out-of-conference record for Georgia State was better last year. Okay, they won more games, they played better, they had everyone available last year during non-conference play. But it was kind of the same deal where near the start of conference play in both this year and last, Georgia State had games canceled, had some pauses they had to deal with, and it threw their rhythm off. And out of that three-game losing streak last year, they ran off seven games because they were finally playing basically every week and they had everyone. And now Georgia State's in a situation where, God willing, they're playing every week and they have everyone. So I'm not saying because they won seven games after losing three the last two seasons that it's going to happen again, but we're still sitting here and it's a possibility now that everyone's back that you start to see maybe the Georgia state we were all expecting. And also just weird numbers. I wanted to share weird numbers. That was you know, that was good. Uh, I, I think that you're absolutely right. And there's one thing that the announcers in the South Alabama game, they kept saying, and they just talked so much about how, you know, this was the team that was expected to finish first in the Sun Belt. And, you know, you look at the record and it's not good. Like, objectively, it's not good. But then you kind of dig a little bit under the hood and it's like, well, I mean, it's still a better team than their record. They haven't played a ton of games and been healthy this year, you know. And I think Nelson Phillips changes a lot of things for you as a squad. But like with the loss of Nelson last year, you still had a really good team around him. You know, he's been healthy this year, but, you know, I think when Georgia State lost LEL to start the season, it just really changed a lot of things that they wanted to do defensively. And that's not the case right now. Like they have had a full week of practice. Everybody, as far as we know, everybody is healthy. Everybody is ready to go. um, And that's huge. Uh, I'm not going to go as far as to call this App State game a must-win game, uh, but you probably want to win this one because the losses would then start piling up. Um, so a probably win, you know. Yeah. I mean, you can't reset where you're at right now entirely. You're still hovering around 500. At best, you're going to be 500 in conference play after this week, but... Two and two in conference with two wins this week would feel way different than either of the other outcomes. I mean, you look at it, especially when this team hasn't won a game in conference yet, and it's like, all right, at least split this. But there really is going to be a difference if Georgia State's able to kind of get back to their flow at home, win at home, which they've made a habit of doing since we've been around Georgia State Athletics. It's just been a place Georgia State's made their own, made their home. Uh, And... You know, it's tricky because App was kind of a bugaboo for State last year. They played four times. App won three of the four times. And, uh, you know, the two times at at Boone, Georgia State was kind of going through the starts or the middles of their COVID stuff. They were going in and out of having practice. And also, that was really the first alarm bell moment. But I think... Given they were back on track in the championship game and the second half didn't go well there, I think it's just fair to say that they weren't a great matchup for Georgia State last year. And that loss isn't probably going to be a factor in this game. Like, motivate, like if Georgia State doesn't need any more motivation than 
win a conference game. So I don't know that last year's uh, last March's loss matters a ton, but I, you just have to hope that you've got some, some more answers for what they were providing because last year it was clear that there were just something that app was able to take advantage of the Georgia state wasn't prepared for. And you know what? Georgia state's probably going to be ready for that. And I, I think, you know, of the two games this weekend, the game today at the time of when you hear this podcast against app state is obviously much more important. Um, But, you know, you don't want to lose sight of coastal. Like I think, you don't want to be too emotional to beat and to play an app state and then, you know, lose sight of, you know, probably a weaker coastal team. Um, that would obviously not go well because, you know, Georgia state handled coastal well last year, but you know, I was of the opinion that Georgia state should have probably not lost a single game to coastal because Georgia, the, the difference between those two teams was that great. And it's, you know, you're probably looking at an even bigger difference between those two teams now. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess we don't really know what this Georgia State team is, uh, but I, I do think that Coastal does present some challenges in that Mustafa, Essa Mustafa down low, is a big presence. They're a good rebounding team, partly because he's a really good rebounder, and he's going to be someone that Georgia State's going to have to reckon with. And they've got a primary option, Vince Cole, is their second-leading scorer, but he's basically their the guy who's going to take the most shots for them most nights. He's the guy who's going to create for them. And Rudy Williams is a plus 40% plus three-point shooter. And so that's a guy that Georgia State has had some issues in non-conference play, sort of working it out somewhat in conference play. It's still not really where you want in terms of 3% defense yet. And they take a ton of threes. They take 48% of their total attempts are three-point attempts. And so... That's something Georgia State, the collectively all of those things are going to test Georgia State because Georgia State hasn't been as good of a rebounding team this year. Georgia State's had issues giving up open threes. And if all that's happening at once and if Coastal's making a lot of shots and if they're missing shots, but Mustafa is able to have the presence that he's able to have down low and get offensive rebounds and keep possessions piling up, then that's going to be a problem for Georgia State on Saturday. So, of course, we cannot end this episode of the Thursday Night Podcast without a little bit of listener question action. So Mike from Marriott, a friend of the pod, wants to know, what is your favorite type of Girl Scout cookie? It is Girl Scout cookie season, by the way. Gentlemen, what are your thoughts? Oh, I've got thoughts. Uh, I don't know if I can narrow it down to one, um, but if I had to, I think it would be, I think the Dosey Dos, the peanut butter sandwiches. Yeah, that's what those are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that'd probably be my number one. If I had expanded out to like a Mount Rushmore situation, um, I actually like those like lemon cream Mount cookies. Rushmore. There's like eight or nine total. You're asking for four. That's basically, you're not picking anything. You're just like <laughs> sitting on the hedge, not deciding anything. You know, I'll, I'll say if I had to pick a second place, then the lemon, the lemon creams would probably be mine. I'm not a Thin Mints guy, although my fiance is a big Thin Mints guy. I am impartial to the okay, so I don't even know how to pronounce them. Straightforward. Um, yes, I've there heard both ways. <laughs> um, but I like those the shortbread ones. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. That's I call Kim them favorite. trefoils. Um, I'm gonna let you heard trefoils. Okay, 
I, that, that's that's just what I've seen. So, but I love them. Like I I try not to get a box of Girl Scout cookies every year because if I do, I inevitably need to get two of them because I will finish the first one the day that I get it. Um, without you have to like there's, try and convince yourself to ration out the next box for the next two correct. weeks, it'll feel like a piece correct. of correct entire you know seven servings of cookies in one sitting correct and like you're you're probably thinking like david you know you probably have learned like self-control at this point of your life you know and you i haven't been listening to 113 episodes of this podcast if you think it has any modicum of self-control bingo that's what it is <laughs> like without fail it doesn't matter wh- how late in the season it doesn't even matter how many boxes the first box i get i will finish it that day it's just gonna happen so I guess the second question we, we could go with is favorite pronunciation of trefoil, because apparently there's some <laughs> dissent among the midst. Uh, first of all, shout out Mike from Marietta for my hookup for my Girl Scout cookies this year. And the, uh, the ones I went with are my answer. Um, thin mints far and away, number one. I've got two boxes sitting in my freezer right now, because frozen thin mints are even better than non-frozen thin mints. Second place is certainly Tagalongs. Love that peanut butter. Love that chocolate. Can't go wrong. Um, Tagalongs, I think of as like a elevated version of a nutter butter. Yeah, that's totally fair. In like circular form. Right. Jordan, do you have anything to weigh in on here? I mean, I don't think there's any bad ones. I'd, I'd have a hard time picking my favorite. If, if you like held a gun. Go out on a limb. God, I have to like look up what like most of them are called, honestly. No, you don't. You can apparently make up how you say them, and it's fine. Just, just right. say some syllables. We'll know what you mean. I, th- I think I like Thin Mints the least. Oh, no, there's something That's with the right. coconut. I forgot about the coconut one. The Samoas? Uh, I, I just, mm, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a coconut person at all. I'm growing on coconut as a food stuff in general, but I just don't ha- like the, the coconut samoas as much as the other ones but like oh i think i was incorrect so dosi dos are the peanut butter sandwich tagalongs are the peanut butter covered in chocolate with yes. like the wafer okay okay that's yes. that's my answer then the tagalongs yes I, I so you I like tagalongs the completely yeah. chocolate covered ones i yeah. am a partial to the dosi dos yes the myself. peanut butter cookies well, yeah. they've got yes. some new ones now like i haven't like i was just about to say i came here to check out the roster and it is a little more filled oh, out than i remember i've never heard of adventurefuls an indulgent brownie-inspired cookie topped with caramel-flavored cream with a hint of sea salt. I, so I appreciate the commitment to the college sports podcast bit by talking about the roster. Like, Adventureful <laughs> just got put on scholarship. Uh, so they have two. So there's, okay, there are two lemon cookies. The lemonades, those are the ones that I like. It's the cookie with the lemon cream underneath. Uh, and then the lemon ups, it seems like it's just a lemon-flavored like shortbread cookie. I saw that one when I was looking and I didn't, I have not had them, but I am a lemon person. So I Big feel like I would like them, but I, I wasn't about to go on a limb. I was like, just give me the good old, the, the standards, the favorites. I'm going to have to get some of these adventure pools. I've never heard of that before, but it's, it's trademark. So like that has to be a thing that's existed, right? All of the like major names are trademarked. Oh no, no, they're registered. That, that's that's. The I thought R you were about to say Taylor. that's a they're trademark, trademark, so they have to be good. And I was like, I'm not no, sure about that. Not the it's only the ones only one that aren't. No, toast yay, toast toast yay. Okay, and adventurefuls are the only trademarked. Everything else is a registered 
man, I'm really thinking oh back to God. that uh, that Busa thirty eighty class yeah. that I absolutely did not pay attention to on this day. Clearly, what was the one what that the you and I took together? Was, was that wasn't thirty eighty, was it? Uh, legal environment of business. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, that was a fun class. This is the content that you all tuned in for. So thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Mike, for the incredible question. And uh, by proxy of Brady, thank you for the delicious cookies. Last but not least, we've got sports bits for you this week. Uh, tonight, as of the release of this podcast, men's basketball, of course, taking on Appalachian State in the sports arena, 7 p.m. on ESPN Plus and WRAS FM 88.5. And then... Friday and Saturday, track and field as in Nashville, Tennessee for the Vanderbilt Invitational. Also Friday, 5 p.m., men's tennis takes on Georgia Tech in Midtown. And then Saturday, we've got women's basketball hosting Georgia Southern in the sports arena at 11.30 a.m. That game will be on ESPN+, Plus, as well as men's basketball hosting Coastal Carolina shortly thereafter at 2 p.m., also on ESPN Plus, and then Sunday, men's tennis taking on Wofford in Peachtree Corners at 11 a.m. But that's all we've got coming up in Panther Athletics this week, and that's all we've got for this episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you in the next one. Bye-bye.